Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for July 15th of 2018. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Welsh from HockeyHeads.com. And this summer edition of the podcast, we will talk about two recent goaltender signings, both in the Western Conference, both in the Western Conference Finals, actually. And... We will talk about a future, in my opinion, Hall of Fame player who was just traded, and normally it would be newsworthy, except for the fact he doesn't play anymore, and he's on Arizona. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, join the list of um, potential Hall of Fame players that go to there's Arizona. some roster that they're assembling out there in Arizona, isn't it? Yeah, the uh, 07 team is really great. <laughs> so... The, speaking of Marion Hosa and another one of those, well, we don't really owe him much money, but the cap hit sucks, so let's throw him to the desert. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that and the overall, not just specifically him, but I, I believe we'll have some thoughts on that um, process. So, Where should we begin with your guy? Yeah, let's start with the man that, uh, once again, got paid more than I think he deserves, but I'm happy he got it, and I'm glad it's not with the Penguins. Three, three years, $7 million each season for Marc-Andre Fleury. That does not start this year. That will start the following year. So he will he's under contract with Vegas for the next four seasons, and Fleury is, what, 32-ish? He's 33. 30, he's 33 right now? Turns 34 in November. Yeesh. Um, a very athletic goalie, so aging curve I think is legitimate concern with um, any goalie because the hips and that kind of stuff. I'll give this to Marc-Andre. He's been very durable in his career outside of concussions, which, you know, for a goalie are pretty random. Nothing that the goalie's doing wrong, per se. You know what yep. I mean? Absolutely. So, he's durable. He's coming off his best season ever, including all of the Penguins' seasons. Um, so I don't really fault the team for wanting his services, especially given he's the highest-selling jersey, he's the face of the franchise, all that stuff. That That's legitimate part of the variable here. I guess what I don't understand is why that they had to come to an agreement in July of 2018 coming off his best ever season at age 33. How maybe you can see him play more hockey and maybe not have to pay that much cuz what are the odds he has you know He's been in the league since um, 03, 04, I believe. He's been around for forever. And this is his best season at an age that's normally not the thing for goalies to to find that success. There are a lot of weird things going on in Vegas this year. Uh, Just, um, it was crazy. (laughs) The whole thing was crazy. It still is. If there's if there's a team that's going to have a one and done kind of a, a run where they go in do really well and then sort of disappear off the map, it would be the Vegas Knights because of how many 
players on that team had career years. And, you know, I was hoping Fleury would do well, um, mainly to try and get the people that are on his case off his case, which he did until he got to the cup final. Um, but $7 million's a lot of money. This team has cap space in spades, right? But you don't have to throw it away needlessly. He would have stayed in Vegas for, for the same contract he was on, three years at five mil. He wouldn't have walked. I guess that's the other part of this. Nobody's really bringing up. They everybody thinks, oh, Vegas has to do it because he's the face of the franchise. Where else is he going that he he likes? Like he really enjoyed yeah. himself in Vegas too. <clears throat> I mean, Vegas has some um, leverage in this as well. Absolutely, they do. Like, I don't think they're gonna fall off the map. I don't think they're. Uh, cup finalist um, contender in the sense of, of being a favorite for it. Mm. But they're in a kind of a crummy division. And I I think they can certainly make the playoffs again. I think they could also miss it because if William Carlson doesn't shoot 20%, what happens to a lot of that? Um, James Neal and David Perron are both gone. And they were... Uh, they had very good seasons for them last year. Paul Stasny is a great addition, but it's there was a lot of lightning in a bottle last year. Put it that yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, I suppose this is the thing. Like we're obviously talking about Fleury, and it'll blend into the Winnipeg side of Hellebuck as well. And it's one of those things where I hate saying this. What is it? It's, almost a week or five days after the signings were done, you get there and you, you, you see Trevor Shirsky and they're saying, you know, teams still don't know how to value goalies. And it's still an argument of saying, even if you've got the best goalie in the league, not to pay him that much because it's the one position that can make or break your season. You need to throw the money elsewhere in your roster sort of thing. So... Where Vegas gets away with it is that over that three-year extension through to 21-22, I don't think they're going to push up against the cap. But that can change very quickly if you end up getting an Eric Carlson or someone along those lines. Or some of these young players that they've got that are coming up as RFAs have breakout years. Then you've got to look at sort of starting to pay some of these guys. Like, you know, everyone's got big raps on Shea Theodore. If he comes along and has a breakout year... This year, even though he's going to have to sign his RFA contract, is he going to take a bridge deal? Or are they going to give him on a one-year and then pay him? Like, I still don't trust this general manager to manage the cap particularly well. You look at his history when he was at the Capitals, the types of players that he thought were required to win in the Stanley Cup. This team was moving along quite nicely, and then they traded for Ryan Reeves, like which sort of moves away from the type of hockey that teams are showing that you need to play to win. Like, have a look at the way the Capitals beat the the Knights. It certainly wasn't George McPhee's style of teams towards the end of his tenure in Washington that, that beat his Vegas team. Yeah, and what happens if William Carlson gets like six or seven million per year? And then, Which is, yeah. and then is a, like a 20-25 goal scorer, not a 40 goal scorer. Because that's, they could re- realistically happen. And both sides would be correct in, in saying that. Carlson would go, I scored 40, pay me. 
And for all of the reasons you just said, Vegas would be right to say, dude, you've done it once after doing absolutely nothing like this ever in your career. How can we pay you seven mil over seven years? You, well, you, you start that conversation, you shot 20%. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you are not a true 20% shooter. Patrick Laine may come close to something. I think he's at like 18. And he's not an Ovechkin and, volume and, and, shooter and where shooting 8% or 12% works because you shoot so many times. So, and, you know, this side of it is not talked about, or at least I haven't seen a lot of it. Well... The Eric Carlson, Bobby Ryan package deal that Ottawa wants so badly, Vegas is really the only team that's been realistically put out there to take that. But seven million here for Flurry, five to seven million for Carlson, um, I think six to Stasny, right? Yeah. Um, you know the Flurry seven million is not a problem in. The moments that we're speaking right now but when you try to project and make some of these um bigger moves seven mil is a lot for that position and especially with no um guarantee of future play at that level because there has never been play at that level before by this player well on, on top of that like You've got the 5.3 for Thomas Tatar as well that goes through until 2021. And that was a coach and a GM totally not on the same page. Absolutely. And that's like five point. I didn't realize Tatar was that expensive when and the deal first, was made. And a first, second, and third. Yeah, I know. So it's just, it's one of those things where this team, for a team that struck lightning in a bottle and looks set to be able to make some really good moves to bring players in without having to give up assets, because you could do it in free agency and overpay, right? You could overpay for those free agents. Becomes much harder to do when you overpay for your own assets that you don't have to overpay for. Like, you could make the argument that 6.5 for a 32-year-old Paul Statsy is a little high, but you overpay for that because it's a it's a UFA signing. Marc-Andre Fleury at $7 million for three years is an overpayment, but you were... Competing against who? Where was he going to go? He wanted to stay there. If you paid him 5.5 like the Penguins did for He's three years. He's not going years, anywhere. He's not going anywhere. Correct. So it's like when Pittsburgh, you know, basically, you know, bid against themselves for Jack Johnson services for five years. So that's just nuts. You don't you don't need to do those sorts of things. And it's, it's, it's overspending in areas where it doesn't need to be done, particularly on your own players. That, that does you in and that's sort of where Vegas is now like they've got just under 15 million projected for cap space for this year now next year that's going to be smaller again because some of these guys are going to chew into that next year with increases on their on their cap hits from what they are now so I, I can't believe we're talking so much about Vegas to be perfectly honest but they're in such a unique position that it would be a shame to see it wasted. I'd love to see a guy like Dubas with this roster. Yeah, he's he's got his hands full with his. He certainly <laughs> does. Doing doing fine so far though. Um, yeah, I, we might be doing okay. <laughs> the the thing with the face of the franchise, which is probably the number one defendable position with this contract, I would think. 
is a little bit overblown to me because if your team's winning, you don't really need a face of a franchise. No, that's a good point, actually, yeah. And it was the winning and that caused um, the just fury of the fan base of buying in right away. Certainly Mark andre was part of that. He played great. But, you know, William Carlson, Jonathan Marchessault are there. Um, you, you've got pieces there that can... You know, star players now, I guess. Well, those two certainly are next to Mark andre Fleury. I mean, it helps that Fleury is a great personality to have out as the face of your franchise, though. I mean, all yeah, those sorts of things... that's not that... debatable. I think no. that's accurate as anything that's ever been said about him. <laughs> Correct. No, no, that's, and that's, that's one of those things where all those things that, that make you frustrated as a fan that tries to break down a team when you're a Penguins fan and... Fleury is quite clearly playing substandard hockey, but everyone's giving him a pass because of how awesome a person he is, is a perfect reason to have him over in Vegas when you're not expecting to make the cup final. But they did, and it wasn't just because of him. There was quite a lot else going on at the time. Huge driver of that because goaltending at that level can hide a lot of things. But I thought, at first I'm like, Vegas, what the, this is fluky, they fucking suck. But they didn't. They were slightly above average team with great goaltending and some hot players, and it was a fun ride. But um, to transition into, we, I had, <laughs> we came into this with two topics, the goalie thing and the Hosa thing. And so, <laughs> like at the beginning of the podcast, I just threw a tweet out there. And we actually do have a question from Dalton Mack that is Vegas-related. Hey! Is GM of the year going to ruin the night starting with these moves? And he quoted um, McPhee, uh, Knights on Ice is the quoted tweet. McPhee lasts six months minus step moves. Mid-January, Englund extension, John Merrill extension. Late February, Reeves plus a fourth for uh, some, I think Lindbergh, was, was he a Pittsburgh prospect? I don't even, it's irrelevant. He got Reeves and, you know, two million for of Broussards. Uh and then Leipzig for home, Tatar for a first, second, and third, July, Reeves. Yeah, we didn't even bring up that Reeves is making two point seven seven five million a year for the next two years. Yeah. And the and the reasoning for it was, well that's how much money we were gonna give him for three, so whatever. Oh, d- which means he's gonna play, like uh, he's gonna we, play. We've, we've, we've talked about it enough. Um, who else is Stasny? Three years for six and a half, but I think we both agree that one's fine. Holden at two times two point two. Lost Peron and Neil, and then Colin Miller got a four-year three point eight seven five um, deal, and then he has the the flurry deal at the end but a, a lot of that I, I i would say outside of stasny a lot of eh. but that's what he uses a gm like you look at what he's done in all of those areas it's similar to the stuff he did once he got outside the first round of the draft like you look at how that washington capitals team was was built and the types of players that he had Everything he did in the free agent market or in the trade market was to bring in players like this. This is how he thinks a team should be built. 
And Tom Wilson, I'm sure, was his pick in the first round, right? Probably. Right? Um, that would date. Yeah, the, the, the dates that well, it certainly dates before McClellan. McClellan, so absolutely. The thing that the, the thing that's sort of I like Wachinski's point about the GM. It should be the GM of every like five year rotation or something like that. You can't judge a GM for GM of the year on oh well that one, on one season. Fucking, but the worst. That's the argument you've got there. Right next to the Laney Bang and the yeah. The fucking one that Latang didn't win. Oh, the one from dying and coming back and playing all right. Is it the Masterton? I think that's the one. Yeah, that one's a joke. So it's it's just one of those things where not that people are overcoming things. That's not what I mean. I'm no. saying that <laughs> the, the people that win sometimes. I think the one was was it Devin Dubnik figured out how to play hockey not in Edmonton. And yeah, he went from not being able to play to coming back from a stroke. Yeah, that award can fuck right off too. <laughs> um, and then the one year, yeah. the local Pittsburgh people nominated Mark Andre Fleury because he came back from such a down year or some bullshit. There are years where your team just doesn't have a Masterson nominee, so they shouldn't bother nominating one. You know, not every year is filled with heartbreak and tragedy. Thankfully. Matt Cook came back from that suspension, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's what... It, it, actually, just before we, we, we move on, the thing that... I, this is sort of what frustrates me with this deal with Fleury. I think teams are starting to work out now that you need to play your starters less so that they're good for the playoffs. I think it's a trend that we're going to start seeing that starters are going to start playing probably no more than 55, even though they probably want to play 60, and I would recommend them play closer to 50. I know five games doesn't sound a lot, but in the projection of how teams have played, they need to play Subban more. And I think you'll see teams easily shift towards that. Now that um, as the years go on, some of the, um, the old guard goaltenders like Marty Bruder... Lundqvist, Rene, the the guys that want to play all the games, Jonathan Quick. Well, it's easier. To, it's easier to well, Flurry too, but it's easier to tell the um, the younger guys that just get get the starting position. Hey, we're we're looking at fifty to fifty five this year for you, and it's something you tell them in August. You know, that's the workload we feel comfortable with. Um, here are the numbers that back up the rest and why we do it, and your body won't break down as much, and yada, yada, yada. Because I think one of the things that got Fleury to have such a great year was he missed so much time. Not not by choice. Like, he missed a lot of games this year due to concussion and, and you know, played a lot less through the regular season than he wanted. And you can say the same about Braden Holtby. He's a 60-game 60, 60 guy and, and played closer to 50. In fact, it might have been less. I can't remember now. Um, which year? And he, sorry? What, which year are you talking? This year. He didn't play as many games this year as he's played previously. And his other previous best year was 07-08 when he got injured. Yeah. He only played nowhere close to the amount he normally played. No. So, and, and that was a decade ago, but similar. Yeah, and he's, 
he's an easy person to use as a barometer because of how consistently average he's been throughout his career. And you look at the factors that changed besides the actual playing environment he was in, way, way less games. And the year that he had his best year was the year that he, he got a high ankle sprain from hitting a rut in Calgary. So you, you sit there with it and a lot of the... Like Pekka Rene always got the problem of flaming out in the playoffs. He's a consistent 60-goal guy. Lundqvist, you know, was playing close to 70 in some of those years and they couldn't get past the second round. So, and he's, you know, one of the best. Same with Luongo in the sense that he plays so many games per year and then they kind of half flame out or get out-dueled by another goalie that you don't expect them to get out-dueled by. And for me, it just feels like some of these guys play too often. So if they can get Fleury to play less but pay him more and get more out of him per game, then I suppose you can deal with the 7 million, but it's still too much. Um, and transitioning to Hellebuck, who's younger, coming off a Vesna nomination. Yeah. Uh, I get why um, Winnipeg would just say, fuck it, just take the money and the years. We don't feel like dealing with this anymore. You have to understand they've dealt with Pavlik for forever. Oh, no, you, you, it's, this is an overpayment due to failures in the past. So, absolutely. And, you know, there's there's risk with any of these six mil plus goalie deals, but I suppose... And term, gonna, though. Yeah, the term's a problem, too, um, on these, just because of the nature of the position. Um, you know, I got to hand it to Winnipeg, though. They did clear the space. Um, they realized the Steve Mason thing wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And uh, pawn that crap off on Montreal. Uh, they Thank thought you. they were going to use the space for Stasny, but ultimately, have a young guy that you know has shown a good level of play. I think Hellebuck has shown um, decent play in the past. He's had ups and downs like any of them, and I think that's what. Uh, TSN had a Travis Yost article this week, I believe, about how the NHL still hasn't figured out how to pay goalies, and that why would you, I believe the general takeaway at the bottom of the article was uh, by Travis was that, why are we all paying a premium for a guessing game? Yeah, there are very few goalies that are the same year in, year out at an elite save percentage level five on five that warrants the high price tag. I mean, the one thing you can say about Fleury is that his year on year save percentage is pretty much the same. Well, the the variance game. Yeah. The variance, you know, game to game or week to week or clumps of five games can really, really hurt you. Um, And and that's the challenge for anybody playing in that position. What makes you elite at that position is the consistency of, of, uh, average type to above average performance every game. And this is similar to the NFL running back thing. I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast being, you know, Penguins based. Uh, Le'Veon Bell of the Steelers is the best. He's like the Lundquist of running backs, but you still get there and you're like, ah, shit. 
Got to pay him quite a bit here in that position. Now, he is the best, but um, as far as the overall conversation, running backs you don't really want to invest in because the injury, the shelf life, uh, the next guy up. Um, there's a lot of next guy ups out there if given the opportunity, and I think that's the case with um, goaltending. Yeah, it's going to take a courageous uh, general manager to take that approach with that position because everybody says you can't win with bad goaltending, right? So you get somebody that can provide you good goaltending or average goaltending, and then you're in the hunt. So Someone smart on Twitter just had a thing. You need a backup plan for if your save percentage drops like 2%. You need to have a backup plan, always. And, not, and if you go and pay contracts like this, it's really hard to have one. With, with Halibut. Like you want to go on Bristol? But I don't fault Winnipeg for it. It um, certainly has potential to work. It certainly has potential to have a bad year and still be fine throughout the whole life of it. Yeah. Well, he's well, got a great team in front of him. <laughs> yeah. And that, that is the bonus they've got, I suppose. If you're going to overpay somewhere, they've still got $20 million in cap space. So... This well, team is uh, this team is still well positioned, even with the Truba RFA sign. They have to work out what they want to do with. They're still well positioned for somewhere through the year having someone be disgruntled at another franchise and getting traded away. You know, I don't think Carlson would go to Winnipeg, but they've certainly got the room and requirements to be able to do it. Well. They have money right now. It's not so much this year. It's going to be the next year. Oh, i got Lane coming up, haven't I? Yeah. And Wheeler. Oh, yeah, you probably want to keep him. That's a tough oh, one for him. Yeah, he's that's that in-betweener. Yeah. He's going to probably want 8 mil. And don't pay him that. Well, he's fantastic. but He is. That, um, Tyler Myers will be a UFA, but whatever. Get that 5.5 off the books. Yeah. That's not a big deal. But yeah, um, Winnipeg's in a great spot. They've done really well transitioning from Atlanta, I think. Because that Atlanta roster was not fantastic. Like, you do sort of have to remember that. It was almost still like an expansion roster. The way that yeah, team was sort of yeah, being picked and pulled apart. Um, and, yeah. Propped everything up for a long... Well, they had Heatley for a bit. And then Hosa before that, right? Well, that was the trade, Hosa. Yeah. And, um, you know, they had some really good players, but not, you know, it was a, it was, it was a rough go of it. It was. And they took that roster there. That's the thing. And so that's... Shivel Dayoff copped some criticism and, and fair, rightly so but he's done a good job of turning this team into a Stanley Cup contending team from not a lot well that's, that was my attempt at a good segue with Hosa you've not done too well, too badly there it's the best I got I didn't even try <laughs> so Hosa's an Arizona Coyote so let's see. There's a. That's, I, I don't know what we do about this. I don't know what we do about this. 
What can you do? I don't know. It's part I, of the rules. I, I guess I'm not. Here's where I'm. I'm not upset with Arizona. I'm upset with the league and how they handle these things. And and for this particular situation, it would be the Chicago Blackhawks. Because there should be independent medical people. Well, maybe they do have them. I don't know. I guess I'm going to talk out my ass for a little bit, and I could be wrong. But there should be an independent medical examinations of this shit because it's so transparently obvious that Hosa's actual money he was bringing in plummeted and he's at the back end of his career and he's like, fuck it. Too coincidental, you think, for your liking. (laughs) I mean, he was in the World Cup of Hockey and people are like, well, he played through it for his country. No, well, he played for Team fucking Europe or whatever the hell that thing was. Yeah. So that wasn't country pride. That was just... Yeah. <laughs> yep, I know what you're saying. And I, furthermore, I think the team that... Um, well, isn't that how it works? The team that signed it still gets tagged. Well, that's like supposed if, to be if, what's if the Weber case. retired, yes. it would screw the Predators. Correct. I don't have a problem with that. I, I I did before, but you know what? If you're gonna sign that shady shit, here's the problem I have though: those contracts were signed before, and they've retroactively said this is gonna if stick with you if you trade the guy or not. I do have a problem with that. Yeah, they, they were signed under a. Yeah, a certain situation, and then they change the rules, and you have to take the whole, just keep him on IR and, and roll it out. You guys can pay it because um, you've traded for it. But, um, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's it's frustrating in that sense that you get contracts like hosts and you can see the way it's structured up and something like this is going to happen. Even SIDS. Yeah, it still requires... Um, because that cap, that cap hit still sits on your 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 cap, doesn't it, until the season starts for the IR. Is that right? Is that how that works? Yes, until like day one of the season. Yeah. So they sort of have 5.25, you know, for them, Chicago. But they kind of don't. And you've got that buffer in the off-season to obviously recognize that you can be over before it starts. But I think what kind of annoys me is that there's always going to be these teams with so much cap space because they're only trying to get to the floor that they can take on Hose's contract. Now, Arizona aren't a cap floor team anymore. No, but I'm okay with weaponizing the cap space. I don't like letting teams off the hook as easy as they do. Arizona is letting teams off the hook way That's my point. That's... That's that's my point. It's like I don't think they got enough back for, you know, having them give Chicago what they desperately needed, which was cap relief. And that's just there seems to be a an accepted going rate for, you know, acquiring cap space back. And I don't think the teams that are giving them the cap space are taking enough resources back off the teams, you know, recovering it. So. 
that's the, it's almost like a gentleman's agreement between all the general managers is that what, what goes around comes around and eventually you'll need us to take some of your cap space and we'll treat you fairly as well. Oh, that's the RFA offer sheet. <laughs> Correct. Yep. Life that goes on with that. But, yeah, I mean, do I think he could be playing hockey right now? Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep, yep. So... Maybe the dry air in Arizona will let his skin condition settle down and he'll be able to play. And I don't, I don't want to mean to belittle Hosa. He's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, but you're not belittling him. It's, that's, it's, not, it's the system. I mean, they're, they're just playing the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't blame... The, the system is set up this way, so you use the system to your advantage, both the player and the team. I just think Arizona could have played a little more hardball to get what they wanted because Chicago really needed that cap space. Yeah, they've and you know rumored to be going after Justin Falk. So they're an interesting team, Chicago. They'll be interesting to talk about later on in the year. Uh, I want to fire through some questions and call it a day. Let's do that. Garrett Smith. Will the additions of Middlestat, Dolan, and somewhat improved bottom six with Berglund, Sabatka be enough to get the Sabers out of the basement in the East in the league? Also, with first or three first-rounders next year, should they move one to get scoring help on the left wing or stand pat? Um, I am all for the Sabres using those three first-round picks to get an impact player by any means necessary. A legit impact player, not just like some middling top-six winger. Kind no, of. if you can grab if you can grab another impact player. You go for it if you're Buffalo. They, they won't be cellar dwellers this year. I don't think they'll end up in the bottom five of the league. There are teams yeah, they, that... Yeah, I mean, they got Ottawa in their division. They couldn't possibly be last. No, well, look, if they have been, some people are going to lose their jobs. <laughs> yeah, Fodder will be uh, out on his ass a little sooner than we had imagined. But, absolutely. Um, Dolan's obviously a huge thing. Middlestat's awesome, I think. His hands are ridiculous. Sabatka and Berglund are technically upgrades, but I don't think very highly of them. I think those are bad contracts, and I'm not really sure why they had to take those on to trade O'Reilly. I don't like the trade of O'Reilly from Buffalo. Well, it's really it's really relying on the first second round pick and the and the fourth or fifth rated prospect from the Blues. True, absolutely. But it, I have a feeling they wanted some guys from a winning environment, and I hate talking about this garbage, but they wanted guys from a winning environment that they know are NHL quality players at a particular level that they feel can drag the roster up so that they aren't on their ass in the bottom of the league again. I well, have nothing, a feeling... Nothing says winning like the Blues, who never make the Stanley Cup final or barely true, the conference final. but they're never terrible, though, either. And Buffalo have been terrible for ages. And I don't like the Berglund contract the, the Sabotka one's okay because it, it ends after next year but the Berglund one goes right through past the lockout so you, you sit there with it and I get well, why I guess, I guess well what, when's Bogosian's end because that would you, you say oh well the lockout they'll get rid of contracts but how many shitty Terry well, Murray Bogosian's ends 2019-20 right is it Terry Murray no Tim Murray Tim Murray 
getting the fucking Terry Pagula, I think. Yeah, that's probably been there. <laughs> so because um, the Gojo's contract has to go. Yeah, but that'll that'll just go on its own. He'll just UFA it before you get to the buyout. So that's gonna okay. be fine. So because you might get there and have to buy out Ocposos before you buy out Berglunds because of the size of the contract. I think you get two though, or at least you did. I can't imagine them going less. Retracting on that, yeah. So that and, and that's one of those things. But yeah, if they use those draft picks um, to get uh, a high impact young player on a cost control contract for a few years, you just you just go for it. You have to. They're in a they're in a, a dicey sort of spot. Eichel's down on his big deal. You've only got middle stat for the cheap stuff for another couple. Dumb, um, same. Yeah, the timing of you got to go of, now. Like, yeah, but the, the, you you say rebuild, but those can't. ELCs are gold, and you better you gotta turn around quick. Like yeah, they did great getting Eichel, Middlestat, Dolan. Like they, they, they wouldn't have, and Reinhardt to a much lesser extent. I mean that's a disappointing number two overall pick. Not because he's a bad player, but you would want like. We're talking number two overall picks. You, you got Evgeny Malkin type of players there. Jack Makes Eichel was obviously yeah. there. Uh, Sam Reinhart does not fit that. Um, Chris Pronger. <laughs> like, shit like that. Yeah. But the, and, the bonus they've got, though, is that all those guys, like if you include Reinhardt in there, 22 to 18 between Reinhardt and Darling, right? Yeah, so you got to go now. The, now age is, the age is right. You've just got to get the rest of the stuff around them correct quickly. Do they have that time? Is he a good enough general manager to do that turnaround without players of the level of Malkin and Crosby in their primes? That's the challenge. Well, I do think, back to what we said at the beginning of the question, Sabak and Berglund are upgrades over what they had. They don't seem to be in cap trouble. So, I mean... It's not the best, but they they have NHL players now, whereas before it was really... And Brandon Gooley is a young defenseman there. He played a lot in Rochester. He's um, your puck-moving, skillish type of guy. Um, those kind of players are going to start to get um, more minutes, which is good. Uh, Scandella is your typical number four, I would think, at this stage of his career. But you're not throwing Josh Georges out there anymore. So, no, I, long story short, I, I think I'm not going to be uh, making any playoff predictions, but they'll be better. But having Darlene pushes everybody down close to the spot they should be. God, that, that was so huge for them. And that's, that's the thing that's amazing. It's not so much that they get a, an elite guy who's going to be number one for, you know, maybe two decades. You sit there and go... Right, so that means Rust is just the line and doesn't have to be the number one guy. Zach Bogosian doesn't have to be in your top four anymore. Scandella probably well, pushes to a four spot. Bogosian's replacement level player for that that was a terrible Yeah, but that's that's sort of where they get stuck at though, you know what I mean? So getting a guy like that and being able to slot him in for free and push everybody else in the lineup down the roster into moment into areas that they can play at a competent level and not be out of the depth is just as important as, as the actual play that Darlene's going to provide. Yes. Um, 
so yeah and DJ at Leos underscore dad 13 have you ever hated a Pens player more equal to the hate you had for Craig Adams um <laughs> It wasn't so much a personal hatred of Craig Adams. I hated the concept of Craig Adams. And I hated that players like Bo Bennett would get benched for him. And I know Bo didn't exactly pan out like you would want a first-round pick to pan out. But Chris Zloss will not, do that to you. But why would you not want to give the guy with the higher ceiling uh, ice time and if, even if I'm so sick of well it would just be in a fourth line role and but okay well right now he's fucking watching Craig Adams stop pucks with his face how's that helping him um, but that that's a very specific example but Craig Adams was my um, stand in for all the players around the league that were playing Matt Cullen's going to be your Craig Adams this year Matt Cullen is going to do that because there's going to be a young guy that comes up, does really well. Is does, there, though? There, there will. Inevitably, there'll be somebody that will impress. It always happens. Every team has one has one kid that comes up, plays better than expected, gets into the lineup, makes one or two mistakes, then finds himself watching from the press box because he's got to learn how to do something while the old, old guy gets scattered around. And Matt Cullen... I mean, that me, could be Daniel Sprung. If that happens to Sprong, I think this podcast will explode. Um, no, I'm saying, though, like, Colin certainly um, has the potential to uh, get criticism from me this year, yes. And I praised him, uh, I praised the signing, the first one, uh, quite a bit. He was exactly what the team needed. He was still a very productive NHL player. He's 42, 43 now. He had a horrible season in Minnesota. And you can talk systems all you want. It was that bad to where I don't care what the system was. Yeah, and that, that's what I mean. Like, he's going to come in, get ice time because the coach has some faith and trust in him. And he he was not good the year they won year. the second cup. No. Like, people say, oh, a penalty. He wasn't really all that great at it that year. So nope. it's not a system thing. Um. I did start really disliking Craig Adams when he was getting in fights with Malkin at practice. So yeah, that's an easy way to yeah. That doesn't take much for you to suddenly go. When, when you're <laughs> a well below replacement level player and you're fucking with one of my favorite players and you're on the same team, yeah, that'll that'll do it. Um, what are some other players that I didn't care for? I didn't care for Matt Cook. I I didn't care I, for the garbage yeah. stuff. I just didn't. I I couldn't. I couldn't deal with the shit that he would constantly do. It just drove me nuts. Too bad. Um, he was he was actually a yes he was yep player and uh, just couldn't couldn't not be an asshole. I don't know. Seeing as though we got these questions kind of live, I'll, I might have to return to that one someday and figure out if there are any players I just intensely uh, disliked. I remember heckling Jeff Gilson when he was on the Rochester Americans. He sucked. <laughs> <laughs> remember in college having like seats near the glass, and I just pointed at him. We made eye contact, and I just gave him a thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can be children as fans, can't we? That was, that was like 
15, 16 years ago. Uh, that's what you're supposed to do. I when like you're to think I have um, poor Jeff Jelson. Um, we got time for what? One more. One more. Then I got to get to work. Okay. And this one is um, probably more for you than me. Oh, you're the go. one that you're the one that's experienced both of these. Mm-hmm. I've only experienced the one. Um, Swarls from Swarly eighty seven. What's barbecue like in Australia versus the United States? Um, the difference is our barbecues seem to be a lot smaller in the sense that we'll have a Portions. lot of. Yeah, the portion sizes are smaller, so we'll still have the same amount of... He's calling all of us fat fucks, you hear this? <laughs> <laughs> no, no that, that is not right. Um, but yeah, barbecue in the States is like death by meat, which is not a thing I'm, I'm against, by the way. Um, just because the sizes are so much larger of your cuts of meat, we just seem to cut our meat smaller. But barbecues are ostensibly barbecues the same all over the world. It's the sauces and the spices that everybody puts on things that's different, I suppose. So um, this will be more a me thing than an Australian thing, but I have very boring sauces that go over my stuff because I like to enjoy the meat that's being cooked, whereas some people over here love to slather their stuff in everything, and I'm like, well, you can't taste the actual protein you're supposed to be consuming. So it sort of fucks around I don't use sauce with good steak, personally. What's the point? It's good steak. You're there to enjoy the actual... You know, meaty parts that you've purchased and probably paid through the nose if you ate it at a restaurant, or you've paid through the nose at a butcher so you can go and cook it yourself on your barbecue. So, why cover it in other stuff? And, and that's sort of how I, I treat it. You'll find that if you see me put sauce on a lot of stuff, I've either overcooked the meat or I'm not a fan of whatever non meat item I'm eating. What, um, what pairs well with koala? I've never eaten koala. I've had kangaroo. <laughs> Have you really? Yeah. We're the only country I know that actually eats its coat of arms. <laughs> emu, emu and kangaroo are in our coat of arms. And um, kangaroo what is... What would you compare it to? It's a gamey meat. So it's like a rabbit, I suppose. If you want to look at it in that context. Um, but obviously... High twitch, high twitch muscle fibers? Correct. That's right. So it's very dark red meat. And very and, and very fatty at that because of that as well. And so it can be very rich. But if you get a very lean kangaroo, it can be very tough and chewy. I got to be honest. I didn't think we'd be talking about eating kangaroos at the start of this podcast. Uh, no. But with that, I have to go. Otherwise, I'm going to be okay. late for work. I, I'm sure people are going to be disappointed that this conversation's been cut short. Look, we'll pick it up one night when well, it's a weekend a and we teaser. can just keep going. <laughs> Here's a teaser. How about you help us out when we ask for questions? They aren't all about some people in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton we don't know about. And we do some more of these kinds of questions that are easy to talk about. Particularly over the the next couple of months. Movies, shows, music, whatever. Um, But we got to get Cam to work because it's morning time for him, Sunday night for us. I'm pumped because Sasha Baron Cohen's this oh, I want to watch this. It's, come, it's coming out tonight at 10 p.m. And boy, oh boy, I am. It's already it's for it. already played here in Australia. We we got it last night, um, but I haven't had a chance to watch it. I'm going to watch it this evening. So holy shit, it's going to um, be good. Yeah, you might be getting a lot of tweets from me at four in the morning your time. <laughs> okay, good. Well, you know where to find us. Do the iTunes review thing and whatnot. 
And um, we will see you next time. Catch you later, guys.